you know, it's a great thing to be a part of a church because churches often have lots of people with different skills, don't they? For example, my father used to work as a computer person for many years and so now that he's retired, he uh, often goes around to other people's houses and helps them out with their computers. It's a good thing that he does. Uh, in the same way, I have a friend at church uh, back in Sydney, and he used to be a plumber. And so he knows a lot about plumbing. So he quite often has conversations, and people say, well, how's this going to work? Is this expensive? Is this cheap? You know, what's involved here? And he's very helpful because even though he doesn't necessarily have to do the work himself, he knows whether it's a big job or a small job and that sort of thing. He's a really helpful guy to know. In the same way, since I've come to Dabo Presbyterian Church, I've found out a very important truth. If I ever, ever, ever am involved in a church and I want to um, have some sort of fireworks display <laughs> or some sort of Christmas lights, I know what I need to do. First point of call, ring Wayne Connor and say, look, what's going on here? You know, because he knows what he's talking about. He's an expert when it comes to that sort of thing. It's a good thing to know. But this morning, the passage we're looking at is about something more important than uh, computers, more important than plumbing, more important even than fireworks. It's about prayer. I'd like to ask you, do you think that you are an expert on prayer? Do you think that you've, you've got it all together, that your prayer life is perfect and wonderful and fantastic and it's a model for how everybody else should pray? I think we could all do with some expert help on prayer, couldn't we? And people do have lots of questions about prayer. For example, you know, if God is so big and awesome and powerful and he is in charge of the whole universe, why do I need to pray to him? And people also have questions along the lines of, well, you know, gee, uh, I prayed for this thing and it was a good thing for me to pray for, but my prayer wasn't answered. How does that work? People have lots of questions on prayer. I'll be straight up front with you. I am not an expert on prayer. Okay, Please don't come here and think that I've got all the answers and I know it all and I've got it all together because very often my own prayer life isn't that great either. But thankfully we're not here this morning really to hear me give you lots of my advice. We're really here to come and hear what Jesus has to say about prayer. And he is an expert and he does know what, it's worth, what he's talking about. So it's worth spending some time listening to what Jesus has to say. But before we get started looking at the passage, uh, it's a good idea to think a bit about what is the story so far, what's been happening in the book of Luke. Well, by this time in the book of Luke, Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem. Uh, he's going to Jerusalem because he knows that's where he needs to go to suffer and die. He's on a journey. And on this journey, Jesus is teaching about what it means to be his disciple, about what it means to follow him. And in verse 1 of the reading this morning, we see that the disciples are asking questions, aren't they? They say, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And I think that's really encouraging for a couple of reasons. One, because Jesus then goes on to give some really wonderful teaching about prayer. But two, it helps us to remember that even in Jesus' day, people struggled with prayer. Now, this man here, he's actually walking around with Jesus on the earth. He knows him face to face, and yet he's still got questions about prayer. And that is really encouraging to me because we can often struggle with prayer, but at least we know we're not alone. People have been struggling with it for thousands of years. 
And in response, Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer, which is a wonderful prayer, but we're not going to look at it this morning for a few reasons. Uh, One is we don't have time. And secondly, because when I used to go to school, I used to go to one of those schools where they used to just, you know, make us say the Lord's Prayer. And so people used to just, you know, parrot it off. And it was often more discouraging than encouraging because the way that people used to speak made it very clear they didn't believe a word they were saying. You see, our attitude matters when we pray. And that is the big idea of these verses from verse 5 to 13 that we'll be really concentrating on this morning. It's about what should be our attitude when we pray. And our attitude of our heart in prayer is really important. So it's a great idea for us to hear God's word and see what it has to say for us this morning. But as we start off, we see that Jesus tells them a parable, doesn't he? In verse 5 it says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. The first thing to recognise is that in Jesus' day, there was no electricity. Uh, That means that there were no electric lights. And that means that most of the time people went to bed when the sun went down and they got up when the sun came up. So that means that midnight uh, for these people really is the middle of the night. It's not like today when we can go to bed at 10.30 or 11 or even later and so midnight's not really that late. By the time this man comes knocking at the door, the guy in bed has probably been asleep for a few hours. And also the man is in bed with his family, isn't he, you know? The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. Apparently in Jesus' day, uh, people used to have one big room for their house. And in the one big room, there was one big bed. And everybody, mum and dad and all the kids, used to sleep in one big bed. So, if this man is going to get up and give his friend some food, he needs to get up, wake up his kids, get out of bed and give them some food. And if there is one thing more frustrating for me than me getting woken up in the middle of the night, it's if my son is woken up in the middle of the night. Because then, not only do I have to get back to bed, but I've got to put Tim to sleep, he's got to go back to bed, and then I can get back to bed. And that's really frustrating and annoying. If you've ever had kids or had to look after kids, you know this is an irritating thing to happen. But as we look at these verses, I think it's helpful for us to recognise what Jesus is doing here. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Verse 24, Jesus here is using a standard Jewish teaching technique. And he also uses it in Luke chapter 12, verse 24, where it says, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. You see, Jesus is teaching in, in that little verse that, you know, God looks after the birds. How much more so will he look after you? Uh, This is a standard Jewish teaching technique saying, if this is true, then how much more so will that be true? See, the lesser truth points to the greater. That's important. We're going to come back and explain that a bit more in a minute. But you see, it would be silly for us to get to Luke chapter 12, verse 24 and say, oh, right, we are like the ravens. That means that we don't need to sow or reap and we don't need any storm or barn. You know, that would be a silly way to read Luke chapter 12, verse 24, isn't it? Because it's not telling us about you know, farming techniques, that's not the point of the verse. The verse is teaching us that God will look after us even more than the birds. 
In the same way, let's flip back to Luke chapter 11 and I'll explain why that's important. You see, in this parable, Jesus is not teaching us what God is like in answering prayer. He's not teaching us that God is some sort of grumpy neighbour and God is just a friend who we need to sort of bother at midnight before we get any answers. Uh, This is one of those lesser to greater arguments once again because the big picture of these verses is that for Christians, God is our Father. You see, blood is thicker than water, isn't it? Friends come and go. You have them for, for a while, but then I move on. But your Father is always your Father. So this is a lesser to greater argument again. You know, if you can go and bug your neighbour in the middle of the night and he will give you food, how much more will God, your Father, answer your prayer? That's what's going on. And what's being encouraged here is for us to think about our attitude when we pray. In verse 8 it says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness or persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now that word boldness there is actually even stronger. The word is, can really mean shamelessness. It can mean being inconsiderate. And if you think about it, if somebody came round and knocked at your door at midnight, you'd think that was a bit inconsiderate. What these verses are saying is that we can be shameless in our prayer to God. We can come before him at any time of the day or night. We don't need to wait until special times to do that. God is always willing to hear our prayer. But then verses 9 to 10, I think, are teaching us something a bit different. In verse 9 it says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For whoever asks, for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, knocking only works if you keep doing it, doesn't it? I mean, if I was sitting at home with my wife and my son had gone to bed and I heard a... I think, oh, something's fallen over. Or, you know, there's a tree on, and a branch on the roof. Or, What's going on? But when, when I hear that, when somebody keeps knocking, then I know, ah, somebody's at the door, and I go and answer it. You see, knocking is one of those things that works when we keep doing it. In the same way here, in verses 9 to 10... Jesus is telling us to be persistent and come before God again and again and again in our prayer. So what should be our attitude when it comes to prayer? Well, we can be shameless and bold and enthusiastic and also persistent. And I think these verses actually raise for us another even bigger and more important question. What about when I pray for something and it doesn't work out? What about if my mum was sick with cancer and I started praying that she'll be healed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that she'll be healed? And then she died. How do these verses fit in with that truth of what life is like? Really big and important questions, and we're going to answer them as we keep moving and look at what the rest of the passage has to say about prayer. You see, the big picture of this passage for us, I think, is given for us in verses 11 to 13, where it says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, We'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, the big picture here is that God is our Father, our Heavenly Father. And that ties in really well, doesn't it, to the Lord's Prayer. See, in verse 2 it said, He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. God as our Father is the big picture right the way through this passage. And this is only possible because of Jesus. I'm going to turn to, Luke, uh, to John uh, 
don't bother following me, it's okay, I'll just read it out for you. John chapter 1, verse 12, is talking about Jesus. And it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, because of Jesus' death on the cross, because he has paid the penalty that our sins deserve, if we trust in him and rely on him, then we can be called God's children. He will be our father and we, he, and we will be adopted into his family. And that's only possible because of Jesus. And you see, children can be shameless and persistent in talking with their father, can't they? Like no one else. Uh, for example, I have a son, Timothy, and he's about five years old, and he loves to get on trains. He really likes going on train rides. And so every so often when I'm back in Sydney, we'll take the car, drive up to the train station, get on a train and go for a 20-minute train ride into town. Then we'll wander around in town for a bit and then we'll come back. And what will happen is because Tim loves getting on trains, when we sit down, we'll sit down and Tim will look out the window and he'll talk to me about what he sees and he'll have a great time describing everything that he sees as he goes past in the train. And he has a wonderful time and I love hearing him talk to me because he's my son and I'm his dad. It's a great thing. But you see, if somebody else was going to come and sit down next to me, I probably wouldn't get so excited. You see, I used to catch that train into town and back again every day for four or five years, so I've seen it all before. You know, I know what's there. There's no surprises for me. I've seen everything. And so if somebody else were going to sit down next to me and talk to me about what they'd seen, I'd say, well, thanks very much. That's really nice, but you know, I've seen it all before. I'm not that interested. It's okay, thanks. But when it's my son... And I am his dad, and he is talking to me. It is a wonderful thing to hear him looking out the window and just watching what he sees. Fathers love to hear their children talk to them. It's a fantastic thing. There is no better feeling than hear your son just chattering away about the life that he's living. And that is why we pray. You see, yes, God is big, and God is powerful, and God is in control, and God knows everything. But he is also our Father... And we know him as our dad and we are his children and he loves to hear us talk to him. That's why we can be shameless and persistent and come before God our Father in prayer. A natural question that I think arises, well some fathers, they're not good fathers are they? Some fathers are bad and evil and rotten and they do the wrong thing. What about them? And Jesus recognises that truth in these verses. He says in verse 13, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, Jesus recognises here that fathers are evil, that dads like me and many others are imperfect, that we make mistakes, that we do the wrong thing, that we don't do everything as we should. Fathers are evil, but God is not like that. This is more of that Jewish teaching thing again. You say, if evil fathers can give good gifts, how much more will God, our heavenly father, who is perfect and pure and right, give good gifts to his children? Verse 11 and verse 12 say, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You see, the big picture here is God gives good gifts to his children. But you see, if your son asks for a scorpion, you're probably not going to give him a scorpion, are you? You see, if God doesn't give it, then perhaps it wasn't a good gift for you right now. Uh, many years ago, I remember talking to my mum. And as a kid, I was really light and skinny. 
And I remember hearing about these people who rode around on horses. And I spoke to my mum and I said, Mum, you know, I've heard about these people called jockeys and they're really light and skinny and I'm really light and skinny too, so maybe, Mum, I should be a jockey. And my mum had this really nice smile on her face and she said it the best way possible, but she said, Andrew, you know, I don't think it's a good idea that you should become a jockey. Now, my mum was absolutely right, wasn't she? You know, she knew best. But... I didn't understand that at the time. But even though I didn't understand everything, I knew and I trusted in my mum because she was my mum. You know, children trust in their parents, don't they? Children trust that their father knows best. They know they don't know everything, but they know they can trust their dad. You see, children don't know everything. They have lots of questions. When I was five years old, I used to ask why and why and why and why. And I'm sure I drove my parents half around the bend. But it was because I knew I didn't know everything. In the same way as God's children, we don't know everything. We don't know all the answers to why this prayer was answered or that prayer wasn't. But what we do know is that we have a loving Heavenly Father who watches over us and cares for us and does what is best for us every day. And we can trust in him. There's two problems, I think, at least two, but two problems that I've thought about in my own life when it comes to prayer. One is that I can feel too guilty to pray to God. I can sit there and think, well, you know, I haven't been going to church every week. I haven't been reading my Bible all that much. You know, I'm just a bit, you know, not feeling that great. I'm not really up to God's standards. I'm not really, you know, going to be okay with God. God's not going to listen to me when I pray. And I can feel too guilty to pray sometimes. Well, there's another problem when I can feel like you know, God should be coming through. I can feel as though I'm doing good things and I'm you know, going to church and reading my Bible and I'm serving God, but yet when I pray to him, he doesn't answer me. And I can become impatient that God hasn't answered my prayers. In many ways, this reminds me of a frequent flyer rewards program. You see, my wife is, is from Taiwan. And so we like to fly back and see her family who still live in Taiwan. And so we've got this little frequent flyer rewards card and we use it to earn points uh, so that we can then you know, get an airline ticket and get on a plane. And my credit card is linked to my frequent flyer rewards card so if I spend $5 even at Woolworths, it helps me to get on a plane to go to Taiwan. It's a great scheme. I've had a couple of air tickets from the frequent flyer rewards program. I really appreciate it. But there's two sort of situations with the frequent flyer rewards program. One is that I don't have enough points. I haven't done enough, I haven't worked hard enough, I haven't spent enough money and I need to go and do more and spend more and just do more stuff so that I'll earn my points to get on a plane. And the other response that I can have is, well, you know, once I get to the number of points that I need, I think, well, I've got my points, I deserve my reward. And I'll ring up the airline and say, can I get on a plane, please? And they say, yeah, the next ticket is in 12 months' time. And I can become frustrated that, you know, well, I've got my points. You know, why can't I get my reward now, thanks? Do you see in how our prayers can sometimes be like a frequent flow rewards program? We can feel too guilty because we feel like we haven't done enough for God. Or we can feel like I have done enough and I can be impatient that God hasn't come through yet. But from this passage, do we see that our prayers are answered on the basis of our good works? On the basis of the things that we do? On how hard we try? No. That's not why my prayers are answered. Our prayers are answered because of my status as God's child, because he has adopted me into his family and he knows me and loves me and he is my daddy and I am his son. 
Therefore, what should be our attitude when we pray? We need to remember that God is our Heavenly Father and He knows us and He loves us and He knows what's best for us, even better than we do. And we can trust Him because He has adopted us as His children. There was still one question that was uh, left hanging in my mind at the end of this passage and I thought, what's going on here? In verse 13 it says, If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, this passage has been building towards a big climax, hasn't it? You know, uh, God is like our Father. He's better than the friend because he's our Father. And he's better than any old earthly father because he's our heavenly Father. So it's building towards this big climax and then right at the end, God gives the Holy Spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit the good gift at the end of this passage? What's that all about? There's another bit of the Bible that I think helps us to understand why the Holy Spirit is such a good gift in this passage. Please turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 15 to 16. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You see, the big point of these two verses is that God's Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us that we are God's children. That's what these verses are saying. This word Abba here, it's a very intimate word. It's a close word. It's a word for daddy. And that's the reality of life that we can know as God's children, but it is real for us because of the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, we may struggle to live out the truths of Luke chapter 11. And we may struggle to, to pray to God and trust him as our father and we are his children. We may struggle to pray like that every day. But the good news is we are not alone. God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us to understand that, to help that to be true in our lives, to transform us from the inside out so that we trust God as our Father when we are his children. So therefore, it's a great thing to pray, to ask God to help us to change so that our attitude becomes one of children who talk with their Heavenly Father because that's what prayer is all about. As I was thinking about how to finish this talk, I thought, well, this is great. Jesus is an expert here. He knows what he's talking about. He's given us some great teaching. But does he give us any examples of how this would look like in real life? Does he show us how it works? And there are lots of really good prayers that Jesus makes in the book of Luke. But I think one of the most powerful is right at the end. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, I'm going to read from verse 44. This is what it says. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father... Into your hands I commit my spirit. 
When he had said this, he breathed his last. What's going on here? Right at the end of his life, after all the hurt and the suffering and the pain and the rejection, what is Jesus doing? He is praying, trusting in God as his heavenly Father. Now, because of Jesus, because of his death on the cross, because he has paid the penalty that my sins deserve, we too can now God as our Father as well. As God's children, may our prayers show that we too trust God our Father with our whole lives, every day of our lives, until our last breath. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can talk to you and come before you shamelessly and persistently because you love to hear us pray. Uh, Dear God, please help us to remember that, to remember that you are our Father and we are your children and help us to trust you and live that out in our lives and pray to you like that every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.